Man, thank you, Victor. Yeah, it's so good to be with you guys tonight. Man, like Victor said, uh, I get to be one of the pastors here at New Life North. I work in section community. Basically, all that means is that I get to help facilitate long-lasting, meaningful relationships. But man, it is a, a genuine joy and privilege for me to be here with you guys tonight. Um, when Pastor Tim reached out, he said, hey, I'm gonna be on sabbatical. Would you mind, would you mind sharing to my guys, my crew? Man, I got so excited because this room that you guys are in, you guys, this room has deep, deep history. God has been moving in this room for many, many, many years. And back, not too, too many years ago, but a number of years ago, you guys, I was a student um, at New Life Students as well. Um, man, there is, is deep spiritual history here. Um, and I'm so thankful for what God has done in me, what I know that God is doing in you. You guys, I got baptized over in the tent as a junior, just starting to follow Jesus. Back there in the corner, I was on my face before the Lord and he gave me a word for what to do with my, my after um, graduation in high school. So man, God is here. Uh, he is moving um, and I'm excited for what he's going to be doing tonight. So I would encourage you guys to, to lean in uh, and be with me here tonight. Um, yeah, y'all, this is so sweet. Why don't we open in prayer? Let's invite Jesus. Yeah, we say, come Holy Spirit. We say, come Lord Jesus. God, we wanna know you. God, we wanna know you tonight. Jesus, you are the only thing that makes life full of meaning and purpose and value. Holy Spirit, friendship with you is the only thing that brings joy and life. God, you are the only thing that gives purpose. And so, Lord, I ask tonight that you would come, that you would fill our time together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint what I'm saying, that you would anoint me. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive everything that you have for us today. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen, amen, amen. A little bit more, I wanna kind of get to know who I'm talking to here. Um, where are the seniors in the room? Yeah. There we go, the squad. Juniors, Woo. sophomores. Freshmen, progressively higher pitch as we go. Sorry to hate on your freshmen. Anyways, okay, I graduated from TCA. Are there any TCA people in the room? Yes. Okay, are there any TCA football players in the room? Ah, all, all two of you. Okay, I love TCA, you guys. Um, way back before that, I actually met my wife here in town. I, are you guys dating anybody right now? I know, that might sound awkward. I'm gonna explain it. A couple of us. Okay, so I got married to my, my elementary school sweetheart. So that's, that's goals. Um, learn some pretty fun things. We make some pretty cute babies. So we've got a, uh, about a one-year-old um, named Eden right now. So a little bit about me as we're, as we're getting going. Um, if you have your Bibles, pull them out. If you have your phone, pull it out. We're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter two today. We're gonna read our text together and then we're gonna press into what Jesus has for us. So pull it on out. Who has it? Let me see it. Raise it high. Thumbs up. Yeah. Okay, all right, let's read it together. This is 1 Peter chapter two, verses four through 10. This is what the text says. It says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're in verse six now. It says, therefore, it's also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will, be, will by no means be put to shame. 
Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We're still going, guys. Let's keep rolling. Verse eight says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is a word of the Lord for us tonight. And this is long and this is beefy. Now, right after I graduated high school, I ended up in a little out of the way town called Detroit, Michigan. Have you guys ever been there? Okay, it's city and nothing else. Now, I'm not the handiest person in the world. I can, somewhere in between like unclogging a toilet and like rewiring electrical work. So I, I, I'm not very good at it. But one day, I ended up doing a house project with a friend of mine. And he said, hey, Josh, can you come and give me a hand with a project? I had no idea what I was getting into. Three days spent on top of a roof in the beating hot Michigan sun, ripping these pieces of tar as it melted into my fingers and throwing it off the roof and putting a new roof on a home. My friend was a roofer and he said, hey, come and help me. And I spent three days exhausted and sweaty. Now, I don't know how many of you guys are um, handy or if you've done roofing before. Hopefully not, you guys. There's a reason I'm not a roofer. Roofing is miserable. But with roofing, there's one really important part when you start to reassemble the roof. Now, okay, if you look at a roof, there's these things called shingles on the roof. And the very first shingle that you put over the top is one of the most important ones. Because if it's wonky or at an angle, all the other shingles are gonna be wonky and at an angle. Now tonight, when we look at our text, we see Peter speaking to a wide variety of people. He's writing to believers that live across a spectrum, across an area. And when he is writing to his believers and he's trying to grab onto an image and a picture of what does it mean for Jesus, how, how can I articulate who Jesus is, a picture that he latches onto is this image of a cornerstone. Now, let me see. Have you guys ever heard that Jesus is the cornerstone before? Okay, it's a Hillsong song, so maybe you've heard it before. Essentially, what this idea is, a cornerstone was the very first stone that was laid in any, in any construction project, right? It had to be perfect. It had to be absolutely square, absolutely level because everything else, all the other stones would be laid next to it and according to it. And if your cornerstone was off, the entire thing was off. And this is the picture that Peter grabs onto when he's trying to communicate something about the identity of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He uses this idea of a cornerstone. Now, for us tonight, we can take this a couple different ways. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, for all of our kind of American worldview, we like to get really down to the micro, right? We're really individualistic. So we say, okay, so what does this mean for me? Jesus is the cornerstone, so I, I need to model my life after him, and I need to make sure that I can fit and be level and, and come, come close, and that's true. But tonight, what we're gonna be doing is we're actually gonna be looking not at the micro, but at the macro, because one of the things that a cornerstone does is that it incorporates lots and lots of small pieces and makes them into one large cohesive structure. So think about it this way. If I came up here and held up a model car, 
would you think that that car would ever drive? Can it drive on its own? No, right? Or a model plane, it can't, it can't fly on its own. But what's the purpose of these things? If I put a model car or a model plane, the purpose of those is to, is to point us to something beyond them, right? So a car points us, so the model car might not drive, but there are cars outside that drive, right? The plane might not drive, but there are planes outside that fly. So what we're seeing tonight is this idea of a cornerstone. We're gonna take it macro, okay? These pieces coming, to build, coming together for a cohesive whole. Because what Peter does in this passage, and we're gonna unpack these, is that he gives us three of these images, models, if you will, like metaphors, for what is it that God is doing in us as a whole. Think about it this way. When Peter talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, what he's also doing is he's telling us that God is a builder. He's in, the, he's in the business of construction. And what God is doing is he's doing this big building project. And then Peter gives us three different images for what God is building. And we're gonna zoom in on those tonight. The three things that God is building. You guys can go ahead and write these down because we're gonna spend a lot of time here. First, God is building a temple. God is in the business of building a temple. Second, God is building a priesthood. And then lastly, God is building a people or a nation, and we're gonna spend some time on each of these. So firstly, we have God is building a temple, right? We hit this passage, and he says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God. It says, you as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, when I say the temple, or temple, there might be a number of things that first come into your mind, right? Maybe if you're like an Indiana Jones fan, you think about, like a, an idol and a temple and someone running through or like something crumbling building. Or maybe you think about maybe an Eastern temple or a Buddhist temple. Now this idea of temple, a temple, if you read the Bible long enough, you start to realize that it's a picture that's weaved all the way throughout scripture. So I'm gonna tell us a little bit about the history of this idea of a temple. Because a temple for Jesus and for the writers of the Bible for the Jewish people that had really significant meaning. Because the temple was the place, it was in Jerusalem. Before that, it was like a, a mobile temple called the tabernacle, but it was a place where God and man came really closely together. Now, okay, if I ask you, okay, what's above the building right now? Good gracious, what's above the building right now? Okay, and if you keep going, and if you keep going, Okay, you get to space and all the things beyond it and planets and galaxies, whatever. Okay, this is our modern worldview. From an ancient worldview, that's not how things worked. In an ancient worldview, you had different spheres of existence. So when the writers of the Bible are writing, they talk about two distinct places that life happens. The first, we'll call this over here, is the sphere of earth. Okay, this is the place that you and I exist. It's the place of physical matter. And then if you go up and up, and up, there's actually, in an ancient worldview, there's a, an ocean up there somewhere, but you keep going and you get to this place called heaven, right? And this is the place where God exists and where angels exist. Now, in the biblical worldview, the place in the middle where this sphere and this sphere come and they overlap was the place called the temple. Now, in the, the history of Iv, um, the Israelites, the ancient Jews, um, the temple was a physical place. It was a building in Jerusalem, their city. And it was really, really, really important. 
It was really, really, really important. Because the temple, right, is where heaven and earth, they overlap. They come together. But more than that, the temple is the place where God becomes the king where God sits enthroned as the king. I wanna take us to a passage real quick to talk about a little bit of what this means. We're gonna jump to 2 Chronicles. Because the temple in the Old Testament, it became a place, there we go, we mean 2 Chronicles 7. It became a place of power where God's presence lived and then it became a place of presence, of power and presence. We're gonna go ahead and read 2 Chronicles 7, one through three, and pick up on this story. This guy Solomon is king, his dad was David. Solomon has spent many years building this thing called the temple, and he put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of it, this place called the Holy of Holies, and they've spent literal days sacrificing and anointing it to God and consecrating this space. And this is like the final moment, okay? And Solomon comes up and he says, and he prays this long prayer. Like I could probably read it for the next 15 minutes. It's a long prayer. And then he finishes with this. And he says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests couldn't enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. So what we see, we see this place that's the temple. And it's the place where God's power lives. Did you guys pick up on this? It says that the glory of God filled the temple so much that they couldn't even go in. Now, okay, as we're talking about all these things, I want you guys to to have in the back of your head, Peter's using these as pictures for what God is building. He's using these as pictures for what it means to be followers of Jesus together, okay, cumulatively. So he's saying the temple is the place where God's power lives, okay? But also it's the place where God's, presence lives. Now, if you read your Old Testament, you get to these really, really long portions of really, really detailed descriptions talking about the temple. How many of you guys have like read through the Old Testament front to back? Couple of us. Well done. Awesome, right? And if you're reading through it, you might hit a portion and then things just kind of slow down and you're like, I don't know if I needed to know that um, this particular tent curtain was seven and a half feet tall. Um, and I don't know if I really needed to know that uh, you take a goat and you skin it this way and you sacrifice it that way. I didn't, I didn't need to know that, but, but thank you, right? So, but if you get to one of these places and it gets in deep detail, you start to notice some things. Talking about the temple, you start to pick up some descriptions of the temple having things like pomegranates and palm trees, and it's kind of like this interesting picture of like, okay, it's in Israel, which is a desert, but like we're using language like it's like, like a, a beach in the Bahamas or something. Like what's, what's going on here? What am, I, what am I picking up on here? And the part that gives it away is right outside the Holy of Holies. This is the place where God lives in the temple. Right outside of it, there are these big statues of these angels called cherubim, okay? There are these angels, they're big, scary weird angels, and they're outside the, the, the Holy of Holies. Now, if you guys remember, you're kind of Old Testament in your old school, okay? When Adam and Eve, they sinned. They sinned in the garden. They get kicked out of the garden. God sets, you guys know what he sets outside of the garden? There we go. Someone is paying attention. Okay, so God sets a cherubim outside of the garden. So what we see when we start reading the Old Testament when you start reading the description of the temple of God, is it starts using language that sounds a lot like 
the Garden of Eden. Now, for those of you who are new, who maybe don't know what we're talking about here, the Garden of Eden was the place where God and humanity, where they walked closely together, right? It was before sin. It was before there was separation. The Garden of Eden, you guys, is the place that when you feel a longing in your heart, right, a longing for peace, a longing for beauty, when you have a moment of connection with God, right, where you feel like he actually knows you, this is a moment where we get to taste a little bit of what Eden was like, right? It's where we were. And ultimately, if you read the end of the story, it's where we're going. But this is interesting because we see that the temple is described as Eden. So this is super interesting, you guys. Now remember, this is what God is, or what Peter is describing as us. God has always wanted to be with his people. So this first image, I want you to write down two things for it and just get two things for it. God is building a temple and we are his temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, um, Paul says, but you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right, he uses this language. He says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God is with you. He's with us. <coughs> He's here. He's here. The gathered people of God, all of us together, this is the closest we're gonna get until everything comes back together to being one with God, to experiencing the presence and the power of God. You guys, <coughs> excuse me, I experienced this myself. Over there in that room, when I was in high school, I was almost a junior in high school to my sophomore and junior years, and I was sitting in the middle of worship, sitting in the back. I hadn't been following Jesus. I was kind of in and out of church and I was sitting there in the back of the room when all of a sudden, you guys, I felt God for the first time in my life. I heard God speaking to me. He said, I love you. He said, I'm, I'm here with you. And I, I was really, honestly, I was kind of freaked out. And I'm not really, I, I try not to be like a faker. And so I was like, God, if this is real, like, if this is real, okay, what's going on? But what happened, you guys, was that, that the spirit of God came over me and I felt that he was close and I felt that he loved me and I knew that he wanted to spend the rest of his life, my life, my life with him. Not his life, my life with him, right? When we're together as God's people, this is the closest we get to God here. So God is in the business of building a temple and I wanna give you guys an invitation with each of these images and the invitation I want to give you tonight, friend, is that God is standing here and he says, come and know. God is inviting you to come and know him. Come and know the God who's waiting for you, who wants to walk with you like you're in Eden in the cool of the day. We're gonna come back to this in again, again in a little bit. So number one, God is building a temple. Number two, God is building a priesthood. Now, this image of a priesthood and a temple, they kind of go together. But priests, priests were the people who worked in the temple. They were the people who represented God to the people and the people to God. They stood in the middle and they stood and they offered up sacrifices and prayer and praise to God. They were representatives of God to the people and of people to God. Now, um, when we look at the Old Testament, 
there are all kinds of interesting descriptions about sacrifices. And kind of the common idea is that sacrifices in the Old Testament, um, if we're being honest, right, we kind of like read stories about them and we think it's kind of gross. We're like, oh, okay, so I need to kill a goat. Great, right? So, so it's, it's, it's a little gross. It's a little weird. If we're, if we're being really honest, some of us might think like, did God really want that to happen? Like, what, like, that's not the God of the New Testament. Like, that's not the God that I know. That's, that's, really, that's really weird and really nasty, right? And we don't really understand it. But the truth is, is that sacrifices in the Old Testament, they, they weren't just to like, you, you mess up, you, you do something wrong, you take somebody's sandwich at lunch, and then you have to like, go kill a goat. That's, that's not what they were. Maybe a little bit, but not totally. Right? A lot of what sacrifices were is that they were responses to God's generosity. They were, they, were giving, they were giving things that valued, that you valued back to God. They were, offering, they were offerings of response. And in the New Testament, we start seeing this imagery. Okay, so we have um, Peter talking about we're, we're a priesthood. Priests were the ones who, they sacrificed. They, they sacrificed these different animals. They sacrificed different things. But if you cast it forward, we see language in the New Testament where the sacrifice is no longer an animal. The sacrifice is no longer um, the, the goat. The sacrifice is no longer the cow. But the sacrifice, the sacrifice is us. It's you. And this is an interesting part. We're gonna bounce back to, to, uh, to First Peter here. This is what he says. It says that you're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice this to God. Romans 12, you can throw it up there on the screen. He says, sorry. He says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we see him asking us to say, hey, this is what it means to follow God. It means that you offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. You offer up yourselves, you offer up spiritual sacrifices. What in the world is he talking about? I'm gonna share a story with you that I think is gonna illustrate some of this. When I was in Tulsa, so I lived in Tulsa for a little while. Any Okies out there? More than I expected. All right, all right. So I lived in Tulsa, and when I was there, I had a dear friend of mine who went to my church. And as time went on, I started to get to know him, and I started to hear his story. And he is a little bit older. He's maybe in his 40s. And he started to share pieces of his story with me. Now, my friend, he was raised in church. Like many of us, he had some pretty meaningful experiences with God when he was young. Uh, He followed God. He considered himself a Christian. He got to high school. He was seeking to live the lifestyle of a disciple. But for my friend, something interesting started to happen to him. Um, He started to experience something um, and maybe some of you in this room experience, right? He started to see his friends around him look and start to like pair off and they started to, to date and, and couple up. And then he had a moment where he's like, okay, I'm actually not, I'm not experiencing any attraction towards, towards women. Like, okay, am, am I gay? He starts asking himself these questions. Now, okay, bear with me, right? So he starts asking himself these questions. But then what he does is he goes on this journey where he says, okay, so I'm here and I'm, 
trying to follow God, but I'm experiencing some of these, these experiences of, of what he calls same-sex attraction. What do you do with that? And he said, what do I do with this? And he started a journey of saying, what does the Bible actually say about our sexuality? Started a journey where he said, what, is, what does God actually think about the way that I live out this part of my life? And after a long journey, a handful of years of really digging in and zooming in, he came to the conclusion that in scriptures, the way that the, the Lord invites us to express sexuality is in a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And he, he comes to this conclusion. And he says, okay, so I have these conflicting things in my life. Right? I, I have, I have these, th- these desires that I'm feeling and this thing that, that culture is telling me defines my identity but then I also have scripture and I also want to follow Jesus and and I know Jesus is good and he saved me and I love him and I want to give him all of my life. And so what my friend decided to do, what he concluded was that the way of Jesus, following Jesus faithfully, meant him laying down this part of his life, not saying that it's not a part of him and, and shaming himself, but saying, okay, I have these experiences I experience this desire, this same-sex attraction, but I'm actually gonna give this to Jesus and I'm gonna let him do with it what he wants. Now, my friend is in his 40s and he's lived an entire lifestyle, probably 30 years at this point. Uh, he's, lived, he's lived single. And that doesn't mean that he has been devoid of meaningful relationships. You guys, he actually is, when I look at my friend, he probably is one of the people who I'm like, man, you are the most connected person I know, right? You have these deep, intimate relationships with all kinds of people. Why do I tell you guys this story? First of all, first of all, I want to acknowledge just kind of the elephant in the room that there might be some of us in the room who are experiencing some of these things. Hear from me. You're not off. God, God's not mad at you, <laughs> Okay? But I also want to communicate that in the life of a believer, there's going to be a moment where something that we consider deeply intrinsic to who we are, Jesus asks us to lay it down. We're talking about sacrifice, what it means to be a living sacrifice. My friend's life is a picture of this. I want to read this little paragraph to you guys. There is a moment in the life of every believer when the call to follow Jesus necessitates the laying down of something that we hold dearly as intrinsic to our very nature, surrendering not just the frivolous pleasantries and guilty pleasures, but our very identity to Jesus is what it means to be a holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices. So for you tonight, that might be your sexuality. And you might be same-sex attracted or not. It doesn't really matter. Right? There's all kinds of things that God invites us to give up. For me, when I was in high school, you guys, being an athlete was my identity. And then I meet Jesus, and he does all kinds of hard work, and I had to lay that down. Maybe something that you see is core to your identity. Maybe it's the way that other people see you. Right? Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your grades, your accolades. Maybe it's a particular school that you want to go to. 
the truth is, is that it doesn't matter, but at some point in your life of faith with Jesus, he's gonna ask you to give up something. And I'm not just saying that because like, God is standing back here saying, oh, just wait until they get to the next stage of life. They're gonna have to give up some really hard things. That's not it. It's that we live in a world that's polluted by sin and we're twisted and we're off and we don't know what's good for us. But the one who made us, he says, come and follow me. Learn the good life. Learn the way to live. And he says, oh, I know. I know you really want that. But I promise you, I, I, I promise you, it's not good for you in the long run. You guys, okay, I have a one-year-old daughter. I'm literally saving her life every 30 seconds. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> she like just learned to walk. Y'all, if you see dark circles under my eyes, it's because I'm literally saving a human being. Anyways, look, look at literally like today, we have a fireplace because it, it's cold, so the fireplace is, is, is on. And she sees it and she gets so excited and she just like, totters towards it and I have to save her from the flames, okay? She wants to throw herself into that fire. Would I be a good parent if I let her catapult herself into my gas fireplace? Good grief, no. No, 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 it's the same with God. It's the same with God. And what we have to get in our heads and in our hearts is that what it means to be God's people is to trust God and to trust that he's actually good because he loves you and he cares about you and he has good things for you. So the invitation, right, for this image of a holy priesthood, the invitation is kind of hard. It says, come and sacrifice. Come and sacrifice. This is the way that Jesus said it. He said it way better than that. He says, hey, if any of you would desire to come and follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Because anyone who would desire to save his life is actually gonna lose it but the one who loses his life for my sake and for the gospels is gonna find it. This is the invitation to us as God's people. Let's come and sacrifice together. Let's go into this last image here. So God is building a temple because he wants to come and know us. God is building a priesthood, right? Because we get to come and offer up sacrifices. He wants all of us. But the last thing is that God is building a people. God is building a nation. If you look at the story of the Bible throughout the entire thing, you guys, you see God doing this really interesting process. He pulls out a couple people and he says, hey, I'm gonna bless you and then I'm gonna send you back into the world and you're gonna bless other people. You're gonna bless the whole world through, through the, these people. It's what he does. I don't know why. I feel like he could just say, hey, everybody gets to be blessed. But, but what he does is that he, he chooses a few and then he ministers through them. Ultimately, right in Jesus, we all get to come in. But this is what it means to be God's people. We think about a nation, this is what it means, is that God has chosen a group of people. And he says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna fill you. I'm gonna introduce myself to you. And then I'm gonna send you right back into the world. Now, let's look at the context of First Peter a little bit. I'm not sure how much Pastor Mateo went into with you guys about this. So Peter, when he's writing his letter, he starts it off and he says, to the, the sojourners and the exiles in all these different places. Now the ancient world, if we kind of zoom back, it was, a, it was a pagan culture. If you don't know what that means, basically it's that there's all these different kinds of gods and in order to live your life and make your life work, you had to appease and appeal to all these different kinds of gods. And it wasn't just like, 
in private, but it was in public. It was the way that society worked. So you'd be going about your life and like, let's say that you were some kind of craftsman. Let's say you made pots. And let's say you wanted to sell your pots in the marketplace, right? You come to the marketplace and in order to actually get into the marketplace, you have to give a little offering to the God of sales, right? Like the God of merchandise. Let's say that you get married and you really want your wife and you to have a baby, right? What are you gonna do? You're gonna go and you're gonna make some sacrifices to the God of fertility. That's what you're gonna do. That's the way it worked, right? There was, some, there was some kind of offering and sacrifice for every single aspect of life. So when Peter is writing to these people, he's not writing to people who are literally foreigners, but he's writing to people who at one time in their lives, they were the in people, they were the in crowd, but now, because they're following Jesus, and to follow Jesus means that you don't sacrifice to idols and worship other gods, they were now the out crowd. They were the in crowd, but now they're the out crowd. And he's writing to them, and here's what he says. He says, okay, you're actually chosen. You're actually special. You're holy. You are a generation called for the Lord to proclaim the, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Now, they were the ins, now they're the outs, but God is somehow saying, I'm gonna send you back and you're gonna proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Now, I don't, I don't know all of your history, so I'm just gonna speak from my, I'm gonna speak from my example. Before I started following Jesus, there was a moment in my life, so I was a high schooler TCA, avid athlete. I started following Jesus through my sophomore and junior years of high school. It was a very distinct change for me in the way that I behaved, in the way that I related, in the things that I did. Before Jesus and after Jesus, Josh, were very different people, which I'm so thankful for. But what I started experiencing was that my friends didn't know how to relate with the after Jesus, Josh. And things got really awkward and confusing and messy, right? It, it just, it was awkward. But what I found is that when I came into this community, I found that God gave me a place to be rooted, to be planted, and to belong. God gave me a place to belong in the people of God. When I was in Tulsa, again, Another story. Um, we were doing some like spring yard work and stuff grows like crazy in Tulsa, okay? So I was out there, I was trimming and mowing and doing all this thing and my, my older brother was out visiting and he said, hey, I have a great idea. We're gonna buy you a tree. I'm like, great, I like trees, okay. So we go and we buy this tree and it's not a very big tree because it's, it's maybe like this big but it has like these really pretty little pink leaves and so, okay, we planted the tree and my brother's out there and he's watering the tree and he's watering it, and he's watering it, and he's watering it, and I'm there, and I'm like, you know, like, should you be watering it that much? Like, it seems like that might not be good for it. He's like, no, this is, this is what it needs, and he keeps on watering it, keeps on watering it. Now, this goes on for a while, and the next couple days, the tree looks fine. I'm like, okay, I like the tree. Keep going a little bit. The tree isn't growing. The tree's leaves are kind of starting to wilt. I'm like, oh, that's not, that doesn't seem good for the tree. Fast forward a little bit, and in like a month's time, you guys, the tree was dead. It was a goner. I was like, okay, I'm gonna dig that tree up, and I'm gonna return that to the tree store. 
And we did, and it was great. But anyways, I know. When I dug it up, it was the most interesting thing. Because, okay, so trees have these things called root balls. It's like this big ball on the bottom that has roots in it. You put it in the ground, and the tree thrives when the roots go out into the rest of the soil. When I dug this tree out, because my brother had like literally drenched this thing, it hadn't put down roots. None of the roots had gone out. And I think some of us get in this space where maybe our parents follow Jesus or maybe we like the youth group thing and we kind of bounce around a little bit. But we're wondering, maybe we look at our lives or maybe our friends look at our lives and we start asking the question, of why, why, are, my little, why are my leaves drooping, right? Why does it feel like I'm not doing this Jesus thing very well? I would submit to you tonight that the only way that we thrive as followers of Jesus is when we put our roots down deep in a community, in a fellowship of other believers. And so with that, this third invitation of what it means to be the people of God, it's an invitation to come and to belong. Man, what, what comforting words, to come and to belong. We all want a place to belong. And the truth is tonight, you guys, is that God is inviting you to come and belong here with his people here, and not in this community, in another community. This is the invitation to come and belong. I wanna give us, so I wanna summarize kind of what we talked about. I wanna give us another invitation, but then I wanna give us a chance to respond a little bit to what's happening here. So God's building project, he's building a temple, he's building a priesthood, okay? He's building a people. The last invitation I wanna give you and I would, be, I would be remiss to, to miss this because Peter talks about it so much. This is what Peter says, right? He says, therefore, it's contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Back to the image of the cornerstone. Then he goes on, but he says, but to those who believe, he's precious. But to those of you who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I'm gonna read you guys a brief paragraph and we're gonna talk about it. This is what one, um, one commentary said. That Christ is laid across the path of humanity on its course into the future. In the encounter with him, each person is changed. One for salvation, another for destruction. One cannot simply step over Jesus to go on about the daily routine and pass, pass him by to build a future. Whoever encounters him is inescapably changed through the encounter. Either one sees and becomes a living stone or one stumbles as a blind person over Christ and comes to ruin, falling short, i.e. of one's creator and redeemer and thereby of one's destiny. What am I saying? What am I saying? There's no option to look at Jesus, to see what he's done, to come into a, a context like this and hear the gospel preached, okay, that the gospel, that the son of God came into your world, that he lived a life that you couldn't live, that he died an innocent man on your behalf, that he rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, is inviting you into relationship with God the Father through him, and that Jesus Christ is coming back again. 
this message is not one that we can simply ignore. I've, I've heard it called riding the fence. You guys, I was a professional fence rider, right? One foot in one world, one foot in another world. The truth is, is that what Peter is saying here, this image of Jesus being the cornerstone, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. And so the fourth and final invitation I want to give you is an an invitation to come and believe. Now, if you've been listening to what I've been saying, you're like, oh, that's interesting, that's great. Um, But you, you haven't given Jesus your heart and your allegiance just like press pause <laughs> and you gotta go back to that first step. This thing that we're talking about right now, the first invitation is to come and believe, okay? So what I wanna do, um, if you guys wanna go ahead and stand with me here, we're gonna throw some of these four invitations up on the screen. So this first invitation, right? God is building a temple and he's inviting you to come and to know him. The second invitation is that God is building a priesthood and he's inviting you to sacrifice. The third, God is building a people and he's inviting you to come and to belong. And then this last invitation, right, that Jesus Christ has come into your world and he wants to know you, to come and believe. What I want us to do for a sec is take a moment, even just in in some, some silence, but I want us to do some business with the Lord. My hope is that as we've been, been, been speaking is that the Lord has highlighted some of these points to you. Here we go, thank you guys. We're gonna go into a brief space of worship in a moment. And we're just gonna be available and open to Jesus. I want you to be asking the Holy Spirit, what is he inviting you into today? Right, because these are, these are invitations that God is making. Are you here and have you been following Jesus for a long time and is, is your heart I want to actually know you, God. I want to know you better. Maybe that's you, right? Maybe as I've been speaking and even as I was talking about my friend, maybe God was just, maybe you you were thinking of something in your life. Maybe there was one thing that popped into your mind and you were like, oh gosh, right? I like this Jesus thing, but but not that, right? God can have everything, but, but not this thing, right? Not this relationship, not this one thing. That's you. Do some business with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you just are like so lonely and you feel so isolated and you feel like nobody knows you. You feel like you don't have a place. Man, man, then hear the comforting words of Jesus for you tonight. He says, come and belong. You belong with me. You belong here. Oh, man, and maybe you're in this room and you really haven't made a decision on Jesus. Maybe you've heard a lot about this Jesus guy and you're kind of coming to the space where you're like, okay, I don't know, am I in, am I out? Tonight is your night. You gotta make a decision. Are you in with Jesus? Are you out with Jesus? There's not an in-between. So even as these guys go into some worship here, we're just gonna let the Spirit of God speak to us and kind of zoom in on one of these. I'm gonna come back up in a couple minutes and we're gonna even, we're gonna have some prayer responses together. We're gonna make some, some next steps together. But right now, let's just kind of settle in with Jesus on one of these things. So I'm gonna pray, we'll go into worship. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come, that you would speak. Lord, I pray that you would move 
Lord, I pray that you would race across the room and you would, you would quicken hearts. Lord, I pray that you would call people to you. You'd bring us, you'd bring us to you, Jesus. Would you speak your word?